Qualified Kids acknowledges the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people as the traditional custodians of the country this podcast is recorded on. I recognise their continuing connection to country and pay respects to elders past and present. I recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Qualified Kids. I'm Lou and this is a podcast all about Australian environments and biodiversity. In this episode, I'm speaking with Belinda Wilson, who is an ecologist, conservation biologist and science communicator. Belinda is working on reintroducing eastern quolls to the ACT. This episode has been split into two parts. This is part one. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, we'll start with, I'll ask you what your pronouns are and what traditional country you are on. My pronouns are she, her, and the country that I'm on is Ngunnawal Nambri country in the Australian Capital Territory. Awesome. That is also where I am. <laughs> so what is it that you do? Uh, so I'm a conservationist and ecologist. So a conservationist is someone that tries to save our native species and ecosystems, and an ecologist is... Um, kind of how you go about studying the relationships between a species and its environment. Okay, that's really cool. And which specific area are you interested in? Uh, my focus, uh, my research focuses on the eastern quoll, which is an adorable little carnivore that is about the size of a native cat. Okay. Um, yeah, in fact, before uh, Europeans knew what they were, they used to call them the native cat. But of course, First Nations people have been living with quolls for a very, very long time, and each mob had their own name for the species. And in Ngunnawal country, they called them Murugani. Okay, that's really cool. So I know there's a few different types of quolls. So what's special about this quoll, the eastern quoll that you study? Well, quolls in general, we now know them as marsupials, meaning that they give birth into pouches. And their closest relative is the Tasmanian devil. But in comparison, the quolls themselves are quite a bit smaller and they have spots. And we have several different species. We have the western, the northern, the eastern quoll, the spotted tail quoll, which is the largest one, and then some others that live in Papua New Guinea. And I guess um, the difference between the eastern quoll and the others is that they are one of the smallest but not the most and they don't have spots on their tail so and apart from that there is one other really cool thing about this species is that they come in two different color morphs and um that's it's kind of some people call them you know caramel and chocolate so essentially one is a bit of a sandy color which we call fawn and one is a dark color which um yeah we call the dark morph okay awesome and you have some photos of those on your website don't you? Sure do. Colours. Yeah, they're yeah. pretty spectacular. That's awesome. I'll add the um, website into the show notes. Quolls are carnivorous marsupials, is that right? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so you described that they have a pouch for their young. And so what does carnivorous mean? Carnivorous means that they eat meat. So some humans eat meat, um, some humans don't. Um but yeah, so what they mostly eat, like most of their diet is insects. They love to hunt them down and chase them along the ground. But the other things that they can take 
are small mammals, small reptiles, so we're talking lizards and mice. They will also take birds and eggs as well. Okay. But I've also been told, I've never seen it myself, but they will also eat berries and grass on occasion. Like maybe hey. you've seen your cat or your dog go out into the backyard and eat grass. So it might be similar to that in that they are a carnivore, but they will help themselves by eating grass, maybe if they've got an upset stomach. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. So not strictly carnivorous, but... No, but yeah, definitely, definitely a predator. A predator. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are they considered, no, I guess they're not considered an apex predator? No. So these guys are a meso predator. They're kind of in the mid tier and the apex predators that we tend to think of um, are like, you know, dingoes and things like that. But we forget about the ones that are up in the air. So our apex predators in mulligans are the wedge-tailed eagle and owls and things like that, that tend to hunt from the skies. So, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Can you tell me something interesting about quolls? So it could be some sort of behavior. Mm. Their coolest kind of characteristic is their breeding. Uh, so when a mummy quoll and a daddy quoll love each other very much, um, they get together and then about 20 days later, yes, a 20-day wow. pregnancy, so <laughs> short compared to nine months for humans, uh, the females will give birth to up to 30 little babies. Wow. And these babies are about the size of a grain of rice and they're pink, blind and hairless. But being marsupials, they have to make their way up from the tract to the pouch. And when they get there, there are only six teeth. So wow. from the very beginning, it is survival of the fittest and only six will make it and mum will raise them up to adulthood from there. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't realise they had that many, yeah. And yeah, they do. So once they make it to the teat, what happens then with them? They do this really cool thing where their skin actually fuses to the teat, and that means that they are fused and safe in the pouch for at least the first two months, and mum will provide milk via the teats. And after that point, they will their skin will retract back to their mouths and then um, this is about the stage where they start to get their spots for the very first time. They're starting to get fur. It's really adorable. Um, Mum will be able to take them off the teat and put them in a den. So from the time when she has had her babies until about two months, she's got enough time to start making a home. So she'll find a den somewhere, uh, maybe in, an, in a hollow, uh, a hollow tree or perhaps underground in a rabbit warren that's not being used anymore. And she'll bring twigs and grasses and things and deck it all out so it's a nice, lovely bed so that when it comes time, she can put them in there and leave them and go out hunting without having to carry her six babies along. <laughs> so I'm sure that's a relief for her because they get really big by the two-month stage. They, they start to weigh about half her body weight by that stage. Wow each of them and they've got and she's got oh six not each of them together oh, okay yeah <laughs> that would be a lot of weight. yeah and uh, yeah I can imagine they grow very fast considering they're fused onto those her teats uh, yeah. drinking milk constantly uh, and so once she's made their little den for them whether that's in a hollow or in a uh, underground how long would they typically stay in there until they come out 
it's normally about another one to two months of just kind of growing up in the darkness of the den, getting bigger, getting stronger, getting their legs under them because the next time they come out won't be because mum brought them out, it'll be them. So they need to learn to use their little legs and walk for the first time. And then, yeah, at about the three to four month age, you'll start to see these little faces poking out of the den. (laughs) And um, it was my job through a few of the years to monitor the mums and their pups and how they progressed. And there is nothing more special than the first video um, that you see of the little ones coming out of the den for the first time and blinking in the sunlight or blinking in the nightlight and just going, oh, is this my world? (laughs) Um, It's spectacular. And then from there, they get really confident super quickly. Within a week, they start to not only just like wobble their way out, but they start playing and trying to catch bugs and just learning to be hunters. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, I can imagine that would be awesome. And so does the mum bring food back for them? Yes. Uh, So during the first little while, she'll, she'll kind of bring, she'll eat the meat herself, which then becomes milk for the pups. But when they start getting big enough to start hunting, she needs to introduce them to solid foods. So she'll bring little bits of meat for them to kind of touch and lick and see how they like it. And eventually she might bring actually live prey that she has perhaps weakened, maybe a mouse or something, so that they can learn how to hunt that. And then eventually they start to hunt on their own and follow mum a bit as she hunts as well. So she might teach them how to pounce and do things like that. Right, that's really cool. So how long do they generally spend with mum in total before they go off on their own? They become independent, not necessarily adults, but independent, (laughs) so teenagers, um, by about five months. And at that stage, mum is no longer able to provide for all of them. So she gets to begin her the rest of her year (laughs) and she goes off and she hunts on her own until she meets a another male and starts all over again whereas the babies will kind of try to find their own territory try to carve out their own slice of the world and that happens between five months to about you know the 11th month uh, 11th month um stage and then by 11 months they are ready to have babies of their own So they are sexually mature, is what we call it, uh, within one year. Wow. So they have a very short lifespan. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so how long do they usually live for? Quolls are a live fast, die fast species. The eastern only lives, the the males tend to live between one to two years. So that's really short. Whereas the, uh, the females can get to about three to four. Okay. Three to four years. And their first year of life is growing and figuring things out. And then they have two to three years of um, reproducing. So they, is that right? So they would have two to three litters. Do you call them litters with quolls? Yeah, there's a bit of to and fro in in the quoll space about what we call them. But generally, yeah, litters and pups, but you can call them all sorts of things. I used to call them quollets, like piglets, because <laughs> that's really cute. Nice. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So that's contributing a fair bit of genetic diversity if the whole population is large, but obviously 
you're working in an area that they haven't been in for such a long time and reintroducing them. So do you have um, any issues with their genetic diversity? Absolutely. That's something that's super important to consider when you're bringing back a species from a small number of animals, because if they just breed from, say, five or so individuals, they're all going to be quite similarly related and you don't want that. So part of the tactic of bringing in females only is that they came from Tasmania. And another cool thing about their biology is that each female can breed with multiple males, which means that each of the babies might have a different father. Wow. And so that is really genetically, I guess, diverse and each baby might be quite unique. So when we brought in the females with pouch young that had been uh, sired or um, conceived in Tasmania, that meant that we were bringing in a huge amount of genetics yeah, um, into mulligans. So that's how we kind of controlled for that. And we think it's gone really well. Uh, I know there's another researcher, Brittany Brockett, who is looking specifically at their genetics and making sure that they are up to scratch and able to survive in the long term. Yeah, that's really amazing. It's spectacular. (laughs) Uh, So just a few more questions. What is your favourite thing about what you do? I think... What I love most is that I know that by working really hard and taking risks, which is sometimes needed in conservation, I've been able to help a species return to its home. And that is so special for lots of reasons, but not the least of which is that the First Nations people who live here are able to rebuild their connection to that species and renew that. And that's just incredibly special. I... I know that from for myself, I feel like much of what humans do towards animals and nature is quite damaging. So it feels rewarding to do something to help undo that damage and set things right. And yeah, it's hard work, but it's it's really worth it. Yeah, that's amazing. Is there anything you would like listeners to know or that you would like to tell them that we haven't already spoken about? Um, I guess... If you wanted to be an ecologist or work in conservation, your path won't be linear. It won't be a straight line. It'll be meandering. You'll have to try lots of different things to find what appeals to you most and what you're most interested in. I know for me, I meandered from uh, just studying biological sciences to zookeeping to working for a consultancy and looking for frogs and things. And I've come all the way to working with quolls and finding what makes me feel rewarded. So don't be afraid to try and to volunteer for a lot of different things. And there are always opportunities to help out with your environment. Um, Yeah, I can't recommend it more highly. Yeah, nice. Do you have any specific suggestions if there are any listeners who want to get involved with helping, so doing some volunteering or anything? Absolutely. So depending on where you are, if we're talking Australia, then Conservation Volunteers has a website and they have a lot of opportunities for people. But if you want to get even more kind of specific to a, to a type of species, perhaps you really like birds, get onto BirdLife Australia. They've got, they're constantly wanting people to go out and look for birds. And I find that so lovely to go out into nature and just listen and try to figure out what birds are in your landscape. There's uh, 
Also, if you're living in Canberra in the ACT, then you can volunteer for Park Care and for the Woodlands Wetlands Trust. And all these ones have really cool volunteer databases. So you just give them your email, they'll sign you up, and you can see all the opportunities that are available and you can just pick and choose to your heart's delight. And whether that be weeding or looking for animals or whatever else, it's just, yeah, there's never a lack of opportunities. There's so many ways to help and people would love to have your help. How I got involved with Mulligans in the first place was through volunteering. I learned that there was an opportunity to look for turtles. It's called Turtle Patrol. And so I went to a training session. I got trained up in how to look for turtles. And then I went out and found a couple of them and, yeah, was able to record them on a special um, app that they gave me and help contribute to that research. So, yeah, from little things, big things grow. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the guests from this episode or find out more about Qualified Kids, head to the show notes or visit the website qualifiedkids.com.au. Qualified is spelt Q-U-O-L-L-I-F-I-E-D. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share it with someone you think might enjoy it too.